0: Welcome back to our study of Proverbs. Uh, We are still in chapter five, and uh, today I'm going to read from verses one through six. So let's read God's word. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey And smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of shield. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And again, please, while I'm praying... I know I've made this video maybe days before you see it or maybe even months or years. But as I pray, pray for yourself that God will give you understanding in the scriptures and that he will keep you according to his word and according to his power. Father, thank you for the book of Proverbs. Thank you for the wisdom that is found there. Thank you for your inspired and inerrant and infallible scriptures. Lord, I pray for the young people, boys and girls, young men, young women, maybe even parents. I pray for them, oh God, that they would grow in grace, that they would know your son and his salvation, that Christ, and not their own obedience or their own righteousness, but Christ would be their hope. They would seek to walk in obedience, not in order to earn their salvation, but as a result of grace, as a result of what Jesus did on the cross to live for his glory and for the good of his people. Oh, God, please, the young people that are listening to this, I pray that from them you would raise up even missionaries and and preachers and Godly men and women who would raise godly families and who would be a testimony of your great works in this dark and perverse generation. Lord, please help us. The enemies that surround us are so great. Our weakness is so great. Lord, we need you. We need your wisdom, your power, your Providence, your involvement in our lives. And help us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verses one and two, we have a plea from a godly father that his son, this also applies to a daughter, that his dear son, his dear daughter, would listen to him and would take into their mind and their heart the biblical wisdom that he wants to communicate to them. And then we go on and we see why is he so urgent? Why does he make this strong appeal? It's because this world is dangerous. We live in a world of sin. We live in a world that, for the most part, does not honor God nor seek the will of God. And there's temptation all around us. And there are sins of all kind and all kinds of sin that is deadly. But what you need to understand is... um, There are certain sins that are have more severe consequences than others. And one of the most deadly, if not the most deadly, apart from unbelief itself, is immorality and adultery, not honoring marriage, breaking up the family institution that God has created. And so in verses one and two, of course, the the father's pleading, listen to me. And I know young people that there are times when you don't wanna listen, you don't wanna be reminded, but all of us need this, not just you, even someone like me who has 40 years in the faith, I need to constantly be reminded with regard to the dangers of sin and what I need to do to make sure there's a great wall of defense between me and temptation. Now, it goes on to verse three and says, for the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. That's the propaganda. That's the advertisement. And the product is completely the opposite. In the advertisement, we see that her lips are dripping honey. But in reality, whatever you're going to get from her or who else, another man, anyone who tempts you, what it's gonna lead to is not a sweet taste on your lips, but bitterness, something as bitter as wormwood, a very bitter herb. And not only will it create bitterness and pain and anguish and remorse and regret, but also we see sharp as a two-edged sword, sharp as a sword that if you can imagine this in your mind, has a mouth on both sides of the blade, Full of teeth that is gaping, gnawing, chewing, tearing. That's the idea. No matter how you grab a hold of sin, it's going to bite you. And it can be a mortal wound. Now, in verse five, that's where we're going to start right now. It says in verse five, her feet go down to death and her steps take hold of shield here we have something again of what we call a Hebrew parallelism, which is very common in the wisdom literature of the Bible. And it's kind of repeating the same thing, oftentimes in a different way, in order to add inf- emphasis or to further define her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of shield. It is a sure path she's on, but it's not a good one. It goes down to death, down to the grave down to the abode of darkness where there is no life, there is no hope, there is no joy. And so the very thing that the temptation is promising, well, what you get in reality is the opposite. Sweetness, no, bitterness. Joy, no, a painful sword. And let me say this, in in one way, it's a sword that you yourself fall upon that it's not necessary. Sin is insanity, but sin is also suicide. And it goes on and it promises life, but it leads. And you can be sure of this. That's the whole point. Look, it says feet go down, steps take hold. It's a sure path she's on. She's going to die. She's going to the grave and she's gonna take you with her. And again, if, if you're a young lady, The temptation, it can be from not a she, but a him, a he. Anyone who tempts you, they're on a sure path to death and their temptation is seeking to take you with them. Now, I've written here, sin does not lead to life, joy, or permanent exhilaration. Now, why did I say permanent exhilaration? Because there can be a sense in which sin is enjoyable for a season. I mean, that's how it it hooks you. When you take the first nibble, it may seem exhilarating, but the more you take it in and the more it gets inside you, the greater the bitterness. So sin does not lead to life, joy, permanent exhilaration, but to death. Now, what kind of death? Spiritual, first of all. And what does that mean? Cut off from God. What else? Relational. Cut off from others. Um, imagine a, a wonderful family a father, a mother, children. And the temptation comes from the outside for the man to leave his wife and go to another. And in time, what happens? He's cut off from his wife. He's cut off from his children. In a sense, they're alienated from one another. Just extraordinary damage all around, just like I taught you in the last lesson. When you sin, you don't sin just unto yourself. You sin against God, you sin against others, and you can wreak havoc in the life of others. So death that is spiritual, death that is relational, death that is physical, yes. There's there's a real sense in which death is not natural, as people say. It's supernatural. It's the judgment of God and the result of sin. Now, all of us will die. But there's an even greater question. Will you die temporally? That is, you're in the Lord. You die and you go to glory. Or will you die eternally? You're outside of Christ. You've lived a life of sin. You die and you wake up and utter separation from God and his grace in hell. This is why, you know, times uh, we see the Apostle Paul, for example, in Ephesians chapter chapter four, verse one, Romans chapter 12, verse one, you know, after he talks about the great works of Christ, he says, I urge you, brethren, I, I urge you, I plead with you, I beseech you. Now walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Because even if you're a believer, you're going to be confronted with these types of temptations. And as you get older, they could even become stronger. And so you need to take great, great care. Now, notice I've written here that her feet go down to death. Look at it. Her feet go down to death, her steps. Now, why is that important? Her feet go down to death, step, by step. And that's something very important for you to see, you know, it, it, it's a gradual descent into death so that you start down that path and you don't even know you're going down the path. At first, it doesn't look so bad. But as you keep going down, it gets worse and worse and worse. You say, well, when it gets worse, I'll turn back. No, because it's got a hold on you. There's a, you know, there's the idea of the frog in the pot. I'm I'm sure you've heard of this. So if you take a live frog, don't do this, and you throw him in a pot of boiling water, he's going to jump out. Why? Because immediately he feels the pain. He's going to jump out. But you put that frog in a pot of water that is room temperature, and then you gradually turn up the heat. Do you know what? The frog becomes more and more accustomed to the heat and stays there till he's dead. That's the way sin is. You know, if the devil were to walk in the room looking like the devil, whatever that looks like, and his horrid self, you'd probably flee. But you see, he comes as an angel of light and then little by little reveals his true nature. And, and so let's look at it this way. So let's say that, that this hand represents sin. And so here's a young person and they go, well, first thing they're told, run from it. But they don't. They look at it for a while. So there's no damage in just looking. And then after a little while, they go, well, there's no damage in just touching it doesn't have a hold on me. It doesn't have power over me. I'm just touching it every once in a while. And then after a while, they're touching it longer and longer and longer. And someone says, you're in danger. And they go, no, I can let go of this anytime I want. Well, then do it. Well, I can't. I don't want to, they say. And then what happens? They stay there long enough. They grab a hold of sin and they hold it. It's theirs, they embrace it, they love it. But then what happens? Sin grabs a hold of them. And now when they try to get free, they cannot get free. Do you see that? Oh, young person, it's a trap. The Bible says a trap. It's a snare. It's a dangerous animal, and you need to get away from it. So, Also, I want you to see, let's read this again. It says in verse five, her her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of shield. Notice that her steps take hold of shield. Her steps lead straight to the grave. And the, the idea here is not that her feet clamp onto the steps, but that this is her pattern this is her sure path. This is what she's on. This is what she's about. She's headed in that direction and she's going to reach her final destination. It's going to happen. Now, the question is, is it going to happen with you? Is this person tempting you? Are they going to take you with them? And that's something about sinners that I've I've noticed. Um, it, there's a way in which... People who are involved in open immorality, um, they want to be around other people with open immorality. If someone is, is involved in a sin, they want to get everyone else involved. Why? Well, because they think it's so wonderful. Not necessarily. You see, people still have a conscience. And when they're involved in open immorality and they get alone... Sometimes being alone allows them time to think and their conscience is afflicted and they know they're wrong in what they're doing. What they like to do is get a bunch of people around them so that they're all affirming one another and soothing one another's conscience and ensuring one another, this isn't that bad. There's nothing wrong with this, you see? So be very, very careful that if someone, you know, love rejoices in the truth, it rejoices in righteousness. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. So if you have a person in your life or a person that comes to you and they want you to join them in sin and they say, I love you. So break away and do this with me. No, they do not love you because they're asking you to do something unrighteous and love does not do that. Very, very important. Now, we have a counterpart again in verse five, her steps go down to death. Her steps take hold of shield. Uh, in the Old Testament uh, and, and for, for uh, Israel, Death was an extraordinary thing. We can can see death described in so many metaphors and things. It It was the ultimate end. It represented the curse. It represented everything wrong with man. It was the final destination for the sinner. It was the place of no hope. Now, we have a counterpart in the New Testament, and I'm going to read it for you in James chapter 1. Verses 14 and 15. Listen to what it says. And see that, that James. Although writing in the New Testament. Writing under the inspiration. Of, of the Holy Spirit. We, we also see that these writers in the New Testament. Were so ex, in an extraordinary manner. Linked to the truth of the Old Testament. Well before I read that. Let me, let me read this again. Her feet go down to death. This person who's tempting you. Her feet take hold, her steps take hold of Sheol, which is the grave metaphor for death. Now look what James says in James 1:14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. I mean, we could use this passage in Proverbs as an illustration of, of what James is saying in chapter one of his own epistle. Now, let's just look at this for a moment. Each one is tempted away when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now, here's what I want you to see. In Proverbs, it's this this wayward or strange woman or strange and sinful man who is tempting someone, okay? But here's what you need to understand. Even though that tempter, is to blame for their temptation. Um, Your fault is your fault. If someone comes up to you and says, look, you need to participate in this sin and you do so. Yes, to some degree, it is their fault and they will be judged by God. But if you do it, it is your fault squarely and completely. Why? Because when they put that sin in front of you, there was something in your flesh. There was a lustful desire in you that wanted to grab a hold of it. You know, if you put a rock on the end of a hook, okay, or a board on the end of a hook and you throw it out in the water, you're probably not going to catch many fish because fish do not desire to eat rocks or boards. But if you put a proper bait on there, like a, a worm or a, a minnow or a cricket, you going to catch fish. Why? Because when those fish see that, they desire it. You know what was amazing about the Lord Jesus Christ? When he was tempted, he was really tempted. But what you need to understand is because he was pure, he hated every temptation. He hated it. There was nothing in him that cause would cause him to want to grab a hold of that bait that Satan put in front of him. But you and I are different. Even though we're Christians and we have a new heart, a new nature, there's still something in us called the flesh. And that's why temptation can be put in front of us. And it's a real struggle. So mark my words, whenever you're carried away by temptation, don't blame the other person. Look in the mirror, there's the culprit. So he said, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, okay? When that temptation comes, that's not sin. But when that temptation comes and you grab a hold of it, you relish it, you practice it, it becomes sin. And what happens? James says, and when sin is accomplished, when you commit that sin, it brings forth death. So... James doesn't say it may bring forth death. He's saying the same thing that we have in Proverbs. Her feet, they go down to death. Her steps, they're sure steps. They take hold of Sheol. They go down the steps into the grave. Okay? Now, another thing in verse six that is very, very important is the path that this woman is on Is the path of a fool. The path that a sinful man is on is the path of a fool. The path of any tempter is the path of a very, very foolish, simple person. So let's read verse six. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. So let's look. She does not ponder the path of life. She gives no thought to the path she's on. She gives no thought, okay, to what God has said or God's wisdom. She gives no thought to it. She doesn't care. And that's a fool. The Bible, all through the book of Proverbs, what is a fool? A fool isn't someone who is uh, incapacitated intellectually or not smart or not a genius. In the Bible... A fool is a person who simply does not want to know they want to remain ignorant. They do not want to know the will of God. And so so people who are like this woman here, she does not ponder the path of life, they don't think about who is God. They don't think about their relationship to God. They don't think about the will of God. They do not think about whether or not they're on that path. And they do not think about the end of life. What will this result in? What will be the consequences of my actions? And in all those things, we can say that is foolishness. It also shows that she's a very arrogant person. Anyone who is in sin and anyone who attempt another to sin is arrogant. They don't need to hear anything from God. They understand it, they know it all. Now, young person, here's what you need to understand. Being young, you have a tendency to think you know, you know it all. Well, not only do you not know all the answers, you don't even know all the questions. And you're never going to learn, you're never going to become wise if you don't submit to wise teaching, to the scriptures and to the exposition of scriptures. This woman, the sinner, is the epitome of Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So many people, they decide, I'm not going to listen to God. I'm not going to even concern myself with what God might have said. I know what to do. I see so many people in in media, so many uh, famous entertainers, uh, so many uh, people in, in academics. They mock God. They laugh at God. They mock those who would seek to know the will of God. But they're just demonstrating their foolishness. Now, this woman is a walking contradiction of scripture. And anyone who is in sin and tempting others to sin is a walking contradiction to scripture. I want to give you a few texts. Well, first of all, in verse six, she does not pan. She does not ponder the path of life. She doesn't even think about it. But look at what Proverbs 426 says. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. She doesn't even think about where she's going. All she thinks about is pleasure. She's driven by pleasure and instinct. That's the way the sinner is. But the Bible tells the young person, look, watch the path of your feet. Watch where you are walking. Because you're walking through a minefield. You're walking through a very dangerous land. You're walking behind enemy lines. Listen to Ephesians, chapter five, verse 14 through 17. For this reason, it says awake sleeper arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. If, if you don't see that the world you're in is dangerous, if you don't see the danger of sin, if you do not see your responsibility before God and your need of God's wisdom, then there's a sense in which you're sleeping in the midst of a battle. And the Bible says, wake up. And on waking up in verse 15, it says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Be careful how you walk. In some translations, it says walk circumspectly, be constantly examining the path you're on. Is it the right path? Is it according to the will of God? And he says, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Oh young person. I see so many young people and there's nothing I can do about it. I see so many young people they they spend their entire free time playing video games. They're on the internet. They're, they're, they're in entertainment. They're involved in folly. But look what it says, make the most of your time because the days are evil. You know, if If I was in a very comfortable land, a very safe place, then I would not spend a whole lot of time thinking about strategy, about how I should walk. I could walk anywhere. I could meander through a field. But if I'm in a place where there is great, great danger, then I need to spend some time thinking about how I should respond. And in this case. I'm in a very dangerous place. I'm in a world that is fallen, a world that is full of temptation, a world that's constantly going to be coming at me. And I need to use my time to do what? To become wise. And how do I do that? By studying the scriptures. He says, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And then he says, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. All right. I want you to see what's, what's in front of us here. There's two options. You know God's will or you're foolish. Do you know God's will? Do you know God's will with regard to your relationships? Do you know God's will with regard to your speech, with regard to what you should listen to, with regard to what you should do with your hands or your feet or the direction that you should walk? Do you know God's will? And if you say no, well, then you need to. You need to start redeeming your time, making a good use of time and studying scripture. Now, I want to, we're gonna go on a little long here on this one, but I want you to see in verse uh, six, she does not ponder the path of life. And then it says, her ways are unstable and she does not know it. Or maybe we could say that she's wandering around lost and she doesn't even know that she's lost, okay? She wanders aimlessly without any direction. Driven kind of by one thing, lust, evil desires, whatever feels good, do it. And that type of person has no stability at all. Now, I want you to uh, listen to Proverbs 4, 18 through 19. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. A person who will study the word. Little by little, as they're walking down the path that's marked out by God's word, they see more and more light. They become more. They become wiser and wiser until it's like they're walking in the full light of day with no shadow. They know exactly where they're going. They can see enemies when they come. They're in a safe place. But it says here, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Look what it says here. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Here it says, The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. I have had people tell me, I don't know why my life is such a wreck. While Their entire life is marked by disobedience to God or by ignorance to his word. John 1110. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. In order for the light to be in us, first of all, we must know Jesus as our savior. You must be a person who truly, truly, truly recognizes your need of him. And you have trusted in him exclusively, not Jesus plus church or Jesus plus your works or Jesus plus your good disposition. No, Jesus plus nothing. After 40 years, I'm saved for one reason. Jesus Christ, he did everything. The only thing that we contribute to our salvation is our own sin and weakness. So to have the light in you, you must be a believer, but then the word of Jesus, the word of Christ, the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. If you're saved, God did the saving, he did it all. But once you become a Christian, There is a sense in which God is working, but you are also called to respond to that working. And that begins by you recognizing your need of God's word and giving yourself to God's word. In study, reading, memorization, meditation, practicing God's word, praying for strength to conform to God's word. Well, that's enough for today. We went a little long. And we'll be back with our next session. We'll still be in Proverbs chapter five. Let's pray. Father, please use the word and the life, Lord, of of the, the young people, even the parents that are watching. Oh, dear God, please use this to save them from death and from great harm. And not only that, but to bring them life and life in abundance. Oh, Father, I ask this in Jesus name. Amen.